When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Resale is an idea that promises to reinvent how consumers, brands, and merchants think about fashion. And among the companies charging forward to fulfill that more sustainable promise is ThreadUp. In this episode of WWD Voices, we'll speak to CEO and co-founder James Reinhardt on the business of resale and how brands are joining in the movement and more. Welcome to WWD Voices. I'm Evan Clark, and I'm joined by James Reinhardt, who helped found ThreadUp in 2009, took the company public last year, and is now guiding the reseller as it threads the Wall Street needle, contending with investors while forwarding a vision of a much more sustainable fashion industry. Welcome, James. Hi, Evan. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks. For, thanks so much for coming. So maybe just for anybody who's unfamiliar with ThreadUp, could you just set the scene, put in a nutshell what, what you guys are doing? Yeah, sure. We're a managed marketplace for secondhand clothing. So we make it very easy for consumers to get rid of the things that they're no longer wearing. So we send you this prepaid bag, you fill it up with all that stuff and you send it back to us. And then we run a network of distribution centers around the country. We process all of that clothing. Uh, and we put it online so that buyers can can shop, you know, great great brands at great prices. And so it's a it's a marketplace for secondhand. Right. Oh, okay. so a lot of that sounds like there's a lot of moving parts there, building uh, sort of the distribution capacity to take all of those goods in, sort them, and, and sell it out. That's that's one of the big projects right now is building the capability to make all of that happen. Right. Yes. Yeah. Our thesis is that those are, those are the types of investments that ultimately um, help the consumer uh, do things that, you know, would otherwise be hard uh, before ThreadUp existed. Right. So that's also an expensive process. I mean, maybe we'll get the business. We'll talk, talk a lot about sustainability, but let's get some business stuff out of the way. Um, you took ThreadUp public a year ago. The stock has kind of taken a hit over that past year. It's been a weird time in the stock market and the world generally. But um, investors have been uh, expressing concern about kind of the cost of all of this, the cost of, of ramping up. What, um, what does Wall Street not get about what you're doing? Well, I think it's more than get a, a, in company for the last month or so. I think investors with rising interest rates, um, concerns around the macro environment, inflation, I think investors have um, you know, have pivoted away from what, what were very compelling growth uh, stories for a while. Investors are saying, hey, maybe, maybe I want to change my perspective on, on, on some of these growth companies. I, I think investors, though, um, you know, they're also a group that really respects uh, companies who, who are building, you know, large businesses, big TAMs, you know, with big moats. And so I think part of my job is to help investors understand that um, through since that we're making right now, you know, as we talked about, whether it's distribution centers or software, 
those are things that really uh, compound and generate returns over time. And so I think when investors are starting to appreciate more and more, and I think this will be reflected in the stock price over time, uh, is how defensible uh, ThreadUp's business model is and, and advantages that we have. And I really want to be in a position where the ThreadUp can, th where investors are focused on, you know, profits, uh, uh, you know, fiscal discipline, as well as in a market where investors are, are focused on, hey, let's grow as fast as we can to capture as much TAM. And um, I think we have one of those businesses that can operate and generate returns in either environment. Right. So you had said, I uh, used the term TAM, which you mean by total addressable market. How big is the total addressable market for fashion resale? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we publish an annual resale report every year. Uh, we, we do this with our friends at Global Data. Uh, and they estimate that, you know, the market's going to be north of $50 billion. That's with a B, $50 billion over the next five years. And um, and that's just in the U.S. Uh, you take it globally, and it's more than double, double uh, that. So you know we're looking at a market that's north of a hundred billion over time, and so uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of work to be done uh, to capture that market. But I think it's a very exciting time uh, to be in the resale industry. So um, so we want to make sure that we are inventing uh, the types of customer in the future. Right. So a huge addressable market scene and you had mentioned a moat so your things things where you can kind of protect your turf in there and the mm -hmm. distribution is part of that so it sounds like you're investing in the business to grab a big part of this market and you're having to kind of bring investors along for that ride or that's part of the the trick of is explaining that dynamic to investors yeah, I mean, I, I think investors, uh, you know, they're, they're savvy. I think they understand, you know, companies that are the difference between companies that are lighting, you know, lighting dollars on fire uh, in the service of sort of uh, growth at all costs. And I think they understand businesses like ours that are being very calculated uh, around the investments that we're making. Right. We're investing in assets uh, that generate returns, you know, year in and year out. And I think that's a very different thing, say, than just you know, investing dollars, say, in, in marketing or, or a land grab. And and so I think the smart investor gets that, uh, you know, but the reality of it is we're, we're in a market climate where, you know, where every every stock is is down. And so um, I, I think what you'll start to see is, as the world normalizes is, you know, companies like ThreadUp will really outperform. Right. So you're trying to get a little bit of the sustainable Jeff Bezos approach of, yeah, yeah hang yeah, on, trust Bezos me fan. for now and... Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm a big Bezos fan. I think what what Amazon did was really invent, you know, what what commerce online was going to look like, you know, 20 plus years ago. And um, you know, I think he's often said, and I agree with this, that that sometimes you need to be willing to be misunderstood uh, in the near term, you know, to build the things that create lots of value in the future. And so I think we're living through some of that uh, that period right now. Right, and for the for the resale market. Yep. So you know, you'd said being misunderstood. Uh, sustainability is at the core of everything that that you guys are doing and it's certainly a, a, a headline topic for fashion right now um but everyone's got a sort of a different take on it, it you know is the you talk to a lot of the fashion you also have a um resale as a service business where you help other companies kind of get into their own resale business and you power that um so you, you're talking to a lot of c-suite people about this is fashion 
truly ready to drive sustainability? Well, I don't necessarily think that the question is, is it ready to drive sustainability? I, I wouldn't frame it like that. I, I would frame it as, is the fashion industry willing to be more sustainable over time, right? And, and I think the answer is that the fashion industry knows that that's what the consumer wants, that the, the, the consumer really does appreciate uh, this movement across sectors uh, for companies to be more sustainable. And so I think the fashion industry acknowledges that and knows that the, the consumer of tomorrow, right, is going to demand uh, certain things that are different than the consumer of, say, 20, 25 years ago, or even the consumer of today. And so I think what's happening right now is a lot of conversations in C-suites and boardrooms that say, hey, the consumer 10 years from now is going to be very different. Um, the, 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 and so what are we doing today uh, to lay the groundwork uh, to meet that consumer where they are? And so I think then that means that sustainability is an increasingly important topic uh, for executives because I think that's where the consumer's headed. Um, so are are they easier conversations today than they were to have than they were three or four years ago? Uh, I think they certainly are, and I think that has a role. I think the role of government has been you know pushing uh, companies subtly in this direction. I think you know conversations, whether it's you know the Paris uh, Climate Accords or what's happening in adjacent industries or what's happening in, in, um, you know, industries like you know, solar or electric cars, you know, I think there's just generally momentum around uh, being more sustainable. And so, so yeah, I, I do think it's easier now than ever. Right. I, what about though, uh, as you, you have a, just an inside view of a lot of companies and what they're doing, is there, how much it, it's, people complain about greenwashing and how much, how, mm -hmm. you know, how many, how much, hype is there in this area so what you know can you help separate fact from fiction is there still too much <laughs> too much hype are there too many companies still talking about all the good things that they're doing but not really doing them what, what's your what's your read on that yeah I, I don't think look i don't think sustainability is a fad right i don't think we're going to wake up five years from now and be like man that sustainability thing well you know what a miss that was uh so i i think this is a uh is a wave um, you know, th that's coming. And so um, I do think there are going to be pockets of greenwashing. I think there's going to be pockets of insincerity uh, around what companies are really doing uh, on the sustainability front. But I think by and large, you know, th there are good people uh, running these companies and they want to do the right thing. And I think being sustainable is the right economic choice for these businesses. And so it's the right financial choice because I think that's where, again, that's where the customer is headed. And so I think there's real alignment uh, around that. And I think what we're trying to do, at least what, what I'm trying to do when I talk to executives or I talk to brands uh, is help them understand that resale is one of those areas that can help sustainability be a profit center and not a cost center. I think sometimes we think about everything in the sustainability realm uh, costs more money. And, and I think resale is one of those areas that can actually, um, you know, be, be a net positive. And, um, and so I think that that's part of like what we're trying to, to help folks understand. Right. So I'm curious about the economics of that. You help, you help companies, uh, and put resale, you know, start reselling their own goods. Um, is it cheaper for companies to, is it cheaper to get into resale than actually make new clothes? Like how much do you have, is there any way to quantify that? Like how much cheaper is it for a company to get old looks of theirs, refurbish it, put it back up for sale? Is that more 
efficient than making something new in a factory? Um, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know what the various, <clears throat> excuse me, the various supply chain dynamics are by retailer, right? As you know, they're, they're very different. So I think it depends, you know, a little bit on the retailer. I think retailers that have generally higher price points, I actually think can drive strong residual value from clothes that they've already made because it's well-made, right? The brand has, um, has, has sort of a, a resonance with the consumer. It has, um, you know, brand, um, uh, integrity, right? Uh, so I think it's easier for those companies. I think as you move down the price point and you end up in the fast fashion realm, you know, I think that that is that is trickier uh, because of the the quality of the clothes and the price points at which they sell. And yet, that's also the biggest problem. And so, you know, my my dream is that we end we end up ushering in a world where we're making clothes of higher quality and they can get that second uh, and third time through. Uh, you know, through, through a consumer cycle. And then I actually think you, you actually can create more value uh, by having a piece of item sold two or three times uh, than you can by constantly producing new. Right. In interesting. So kind of um, a world of fewer, better things. Yeah, look, I don't want to be naive, right? I mean, we're, we're Americans. We like to buy new stuff. Um, but, but I do think that's the direction the fashion industry has to go. Uh, few, fewer, better things. And, and I think you can look at that across you know, other categories, you know, where that has been true, right? Where if you buy something that's made of higher quality, not only does it last longer, but the like residual value in it um, is meaningful. And that can be anything from, from cars uh, to phones, you know, to, um, you know, I just bought a Dyson vacuum again, because man, the Dyson vacuum really long time, it's easy to fix and repair. And, uh, and so that's way better than buying a bunch of cheap uh, cheap things that break, you know, every 18 months or every two years. Right, right. So you talked about government a little bit. Uh, you, you, you came out, uh, the, the thread up came out kind of in support of the New York Fashion Act. Uh, and I, I, I know that's still in the process of forming and coming together. But even just that conversation has had has really kind of landed, uh, made a big impact on a lot of uh, companies in the industry. How what, what do you think's even just the conversation around that has talked about. Can you talk about the New York Fashion Act and where it's all headed and what it means? Yeah, I mean, I think the New York Fashion Act is is trying to do a couple of things. Um, I think it's it's trying to push companies towards uh, more transparent uh, disclosure of their supply chains. And so, just so I think it's doing two things. One is sort of saying, "Hey, let's map these supply chains to really understand what's happening." Uh, you know, where are things, where's the cotton being grown, where are the clothes being sewed, right? All those types of things. I think transparency is, is, is the first step really in understanding a lot of this. I, and I think the second piece is, okay, how much are we actually producing? Uh, what type of resources are we consuming? And, you know, more disclosure around that. I'm not saying that the act is perfect, uh, but I do think it's a great first step in saying, Hey, these are a couple of the things that are really important. If, if fashion really does want to be more sustainable, then then transparency around the supply chain uh, and disclosure around the sort of resources that are being consumed in service of making clothes, I think both those things are quite valuable. And so uh, I'm I'm a big believer that you you know in anything like this and anything in, in government you have to get started. Uh, and then I think this is a good step. And right. and I think the, the other piece that I really love is. You know, uh, New York really does is a real leader here. And you look at some of the big, the big states, whether it's New York or it's Texas or it's California, 
they really are uh, can set the standard uh, for how other states uh, and even and even other governments uh, behave. And so I'm excited to see where this goes. It's interesting. There's that old, like, the truism of like you you can only improve what you what you quantify, you know, of yeah. of that. It sounds like so. So that's it, it's a very stepwise kind of logical place to start with this kind of legislation. It, it just let's get information, figure out where we are and then take it from there. Yeah. And I think the people, you know, the, the authors of the bill in New York State understand that. Um, but look, I think even if a year from now we can get some basic um, transparency uh, around these things, I think um, I think that'd be wonderful. What's also funny is I think there are some people who work at at these companies, um, you know, big big companies, whether they're conglomerates or big brands, and you know, wherever you are in that in that company, uh, you know, whether you're a, you know uh, an engineer or, or you're a merchant or you're you know you're a marketer, uh, I think there's some real power in bringing transparency broadly uh, to some of these companies because then I actually think that, that the folks in the organization can do things to help make better decisions. And so I'm a big believer that that not it's not just at the executive level that we need this this disclosure to help make decisions. But I think, it can, you know, the more that, you know, employees know uh, throughout a company, they can make better decisions. Right. It, you know, it, it really paints a picture of a of just a holistic the pressure that's coming from within from without, you know, you, you know the people yeah. rising up the ranks, all those millennial and soon Gen Z employees who care deeply about these things are going to be there. And then they're very willing to make noise. And you have yeah. legislatures from the outside kind of pressuring in and investors. Um, is that it? So that's the, I was going to ask you about what signs of kind of ego hope you see. Is that one of them? <laughs> that kind of like the, the breadth of the movement? Yeah, I think that every... You know, I, I think every employee at a company every day makes decisions, right? About and they can make those decisions in ways that make the make their company more sustainable, or they can make their company less sustainable. And and I think as we think about a holistic approach to this, you know, every day there are people at ThreadUp, for example, that are making decisions that can change how we consume water or how much electricity we use, or how we think about, you know, shipping goods around and, and gas consumption or CO or, 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 or carbon emissions. And so I think part of the transparency is to democratize access to this information so that everybody in the supply chain or in the company can make incrementally better decisions. And I think right now that information doesn't exist. So I, I think I'm pretty hopeful that, uh, that the, the generation of folks that are rising up through the ranks at many of these companies that are in their 20s and 30s, you know, someday those will be the people running, running these companies. And, um, and so I'm, I'm pretty bullish, uh, you know, over the next you know decade or so that we'll get there. Right. It's uh sounds like something that we need a lot of uh, all levels of our society, a kind of a shared agreement of what the facts are. Yeah. Yeah. The fact, yeah, absolutely. The, the facts and, um, and even just our own agency to make decisions. I mean, every day we all are making decisions at our company, at our companies and in our homes, right, with our kids uh, about how to to be more sustainable. And so um, so I think it's a trend that's going to affect every sector. That feels, though, you'd mentioned before about sort of the American consumer society. That strikes me as a very strong muscle reflex of people, you know, <laughs> generations of Americans have kind of, you know, Growing up being Americans or, you know, it's, it's a consumer culture. Yeah. Uh, is that changing? Does that need to change more? 
yeah, I mean, look, it's funny. We even call them consumers. I think there was an article recently about like why do we why do we call Americans consumers? Like definitionally, it means we just consume things, right? Why aren't why aren't right. we just citizens? You know, I think that was the author's point. I can't remember who who, who wrote it, but but I, it struck me because it is funny the way we talk about consumers um, and and um, you know by definition, I guess we just we buy more things. Um, I, I do think it's changing. When I talk to uh, the the teenagers in my orbit, the people you know who are early in their twenties, like their perspective on this is very different. Uh, they they think uh, secondhand. Uh, first, right, in many ways, they, they do really look for ways to consume less. And, uh, and so I, I don't think that's just a fad. I, I really do think each successive generation uh, is going to be more and more, more and more inclined uh, towards sustainable practices. And I mean, even if you think about just just look at like electric cars for a moment. Yeah, I've often joked that where where resale is today, resale is in we're in like the Prius, the early Toyota Prius phase. Right. Where, uh, you, you know, you have earlier adopters. The Prius was never cool, you know, in the early 2000s, but people did in anyway. And but it took, you know, 10, 15 years. Right. To get to where we are today, where 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 Tesla, you know, is making the coolest cars and everybody is launching a new a new EV. So this stuff does take time. But I, but I think now for my, my own kids, like it's hard to imagine my 11 year old daughter when she buys her first car that it's not an electric car. Right. Right. It's it's like it's literally hard to believe that it's not an electric car. And so take that same approach to fashion, which is it's hard to believe that everything she's going to buy is new. It's like, no, actually, a big part of it is going to be secondhand or maybe it's rented or, or some other form uh, or, or she prints it at home. <laughs> right. Yeah. There are lots of ways that ultimately the fashion industry will evolve. Right. Well, it, and it feels like it's an interesting comparison with electric cars. It feels like we're already quite a distant, quite a way towards, you know, secondhand being cool because, you know, 20 years ago, this was all thrift stop, thrift shop. Yeah. And, yep. and that was, and that was never seen as cool or sexy. And now yep. here you are, Silicon Valley CEO, you know, <laughs> next generation, like this is, and there's, and there's other companies out there, you know, creating energy in the space. So Listening to you talk about this stuff, you're very passionate about it. Where's that? Uh, just a little bit on you. Where's that come from? Did you, uh, you know, did you, were you born to reinvent the the resale world, or what's <laughs> what's? Where's this come from? Yeah, no, I, I don't know. Uh, I, um, I think I always have believed that I wanted the the stuff that I work on uh, to have purpose, and that I wanted to genuinely work on stuff that made the world better. Uh, and when I graduated from college, for example, I was a teacher and I taught history and English, eighth, eighth grade and 10th grade. And like, because I really believe that I wanted my work to mean something. Right. And teaching kids felt like I was, you know, was was making an impact, uh, albeit, you know, just in a few classrooms. And so I think always, Evan, I just had this moment of feeling like I could probably do all sorts of things uh, to earn a living. But I would prefer to do something where I could earn a living and actually make make a real meaningful impact in the world. And so, uh, and so I found that, that over the past 10 years of running ThreadUp, uh, it was a way to intersect things I was really passionate about, which was, um, you know, I was really, because you think about what ThreadUp is doing is we're solving a market failure. And I've been sort of obsessed with marketplaces for whatever reason my whole life. And so I came to it intellectually uh, approach. There just didn't seem to be the right way to connect buyers and sellers in this market. So much value is being destroyed. 
and and then right i saw this evolution of oh it's a it's a market failure and also hey like could make a huge difference in the world and and i think when you combine those things of you know the profit opportunity with purpose uh there's something really powerful there and i think that's what gets me excited every day right right the um you know and you sort of the profit perfect purpose dynamic uh it makes me i want to shift back a slightly to wall street again of of there's a lot of talk of purpose and certainly investors and 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 and, and the, the the ceo kind of shtick today is talking more about purpose and that that's like an integral part of companies if you don't companies don't have purpose they're baking it in somehow um and i'm wondering how I'm also cynical on in, in Wall Street and investors, and do they really? They're they're talking. There's a lot of ETFs, funds around, you mm -hmm. know, purpose-led companies and ESG, whatever's, and you know, but does that really stick? It it the market seems to be an animal that cares mostly about money, you mm -hmm. know. So what's your? We talked a little bit about how fashion has focuses on sustainability. Does Wall Street? really care about purpose? I think Wall Street cares about purpose when it is in the service of profit. Right. And so, and I, and I say that with, with, with a lot of discipline with, with the choice of my words, because I don't think Wall Street is in the business of investing in nonprofits. And so it is a market economy. We do live in a capitalist society and every one of those investors we forget reports to another set of investors. And the people who run those funds have, you know, have our parents uh, retirement funds, you know, with a mandate to generate returns. Right. That's how the capitalist economy works. So I don't put it on Wall Street that that they're that they pursue profits because that's actually their like reason for existence is to make money in a, in a capitalist society. The reason why I think companies are starting to or investors are starting to pay more attention to purpose is, I think. The, a unique set of companies that can generate profits and to do good uh, and where their profits actually or where their purpose actually helps compound profits over time. I think those are really magical companies. And so, you know, and, and so I think investors are constantly searching uh, for those companies that they can do that. And I think what's exciting about ThreadUp, just to just to put a fine point on this, is that um, our mere existence, right, every time we resell a piece of clothing, like we're doing good in the world, right? A, re a resold piece of clothing, you know, uses 83% uh, less water, for example, right? Like it saves a bunch of CO2 uh, emissions. And so I think what's really nice about ThreadUp is that um, it fits really well into that profits and purpose uh, piece. And I'll give you just one last like point on this, which I found, found funny is when we were going public, we met with a number of investors on the road. And, and I'll never forget, I met with, we met with this one very large institutional fund and he asked, well, yeah, but how do you guys like give back to the community? Like, what's your environmental like? And I, I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, do you like give a portion of your proceeds to charity or something? And I said, I said, look, our mere existence like does good in the world. We're in the business of recycling clothes so that people don't need to make more. We don't need to consume more resources. And so, you know, there is a little bit of like getting through that um, uh, that piece uh, right. that I think is really important. And that, that, that sounds like a, a, a big part of your job is explaining how and why ThreadUp is a magical company. That mm -hmm. combination of purpose now, profits coming. 
Yeah. And I think, look, I don't think it's, I think we have to prove that, that, that the profits are, are, you know, are realizable, you know? And so it's not sort of this Pollyanna ish, like, Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll make them 25 years in the future. Uh, but I think the purpose piece helps investors understand that, that the purpose is actually what drives uh, customer awareness, uh, cheaper customer acquisition over time, customer retention over time, uh, customer love and the deepening of, of the attachment to the brand that really builds the brand. That's what purpose does is it ultimately improves everything else you do with the company so that you can operate at a lower cost. And I think that's like the connection th that investors have to make around purpose is, um, is, is that, which is it ultimately changes the dynamics of how you run the business and can generate more dollars over time. Right. It, that fundamentally it can just be a better business model. Yeah. Yeah. Because it lowers, you know, just go run through the list. It's like, Hey, if you have purpose, then customers really enjoy your platform. And so maybe you don't need to offer as many promotions because customers really respect what you do uh, because they love what you do. They tell their friends. And so your customer referral rates are higher. Your acquisition costs this go down. And so when all those things are cheaper, uh, then that ultimately translates into the bottom line. And I, and I think that's the connection uh, that, that great businesses figure out. Right. So what have you learned in that year or so since you had that on, the, on your IPO roadshow and answering those questions maybe for the first time? I, I think it's what I've learned, I think, over the last year is that uh, investors look at a lot of companies uh, we all are, get distracted all the time by all the things in our life. And, and what I've had to do is really make sure that I'm being, um, consistent with the, with the message around the problems we're trying to solve, why these are big problems, why they ultimately, as we solve them, generate serious, uh, and sustainable, uh, competitive advantages. And so I'm always saying to investors, Hey, it's not that we do one thing well. Right. We've solved three very, very hard problems. We've built an entirely new supply chain for taking back secondhand clothes that did not exist before, before ThreadUp invented it. We've built an entire infrastructure distribution center network to process single SKUs uh, at scale. That did not exist before uh, ThreadUp invented it. And then the third is, hey, and oh, by the way, we've also built this really compelling marketplace that brings buyers and sellers together. And, and so I think, Evan, what I've learned is that investors understand those three legs of the stool uh, because it's really understanding those three pieces that helps an investor say, oh, ah, I get it. I get it how each one of these is really hard. When you put three of them together, man, it's really hard to compete with ThreadUp over time. So that's right. what I've, I've learned is, is that consistency of, of, of storytelling. Right. Having the message. So, right. It wasn't, see, before it was just enough to run the company. Now you're, you're, <laughs> now you're, you're selling, you're selling the dream. Well, James, I probably have a hundred more questions I could ask, and this has been great, but this is the time we've had. So thank you so much. And uh, thank you to all of our listeners. Stay tuned for another episode of WWD voices, where we go deep on fashion, business, luxury, and beyond. Thanks so much. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.